Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Last year, a friend of mine that I've known for a couple decades in the leather community invited me to come and present not just a keynote at a leather conference that was going to be coming up in a year, but also to be the featured guest for the afternoon's Q&A session. They were having a special brunch to celebrate the leather title holders. Now, if all of these terms are ones that are (laughs) confusing and meaningless to you, I'll take a moment and explain. Within the history of the alternative lifestyles, there's lots of ways that we get together and have fun. And because everyone loves a beauty pageant, well, not everyone, but... (laughs) that was something that started off very early on in the gay men's community. And it started off as something called a bar night, where a bar would have a bunch of hot, sexy men get up and they would be judged according to probably their looks and their hotness and then be dubbed Mr. Whatever the bar was. So if it was the, you know, Ramrod, it would be Mr. Ramrod. If it was the Eagle, it would be Mr. Eagle. And then sometimes these clubs would get together and have friendly rivalries and they'd have a larger contest to sort of figure out who was the hottest guy in the land. This eventually grew and devolved into one of the first big leather contests, which is International Mr. Leather. And then, of course, the folks who were not misters decided that they wanted to have a contest. And so International Ms. Leather was then started. I myself ran for Miss San Francisco Leather in 2009, mostly because I was very confused as to why these things were still happening. It seemed archaic. It seemed really sort of judgmental. And I was like, why are we, aren't we all equally awesome under the umbrella of leather and alternative sexuality? And yes, we are. But what I discovered is that these titles had become ambassadorships in a way, a way for someone to say, you know what, I'm going to be openly existing as a person in this community and help to educate other folks who might be curious or who might think that we're just a bunch of cackling weirdos living in basements, you know, doing horrible non-consensual shit which the majority of us are not. (laughs) So fast forward to about a week ago, and here I was showing up at this leather event. And I have to also add a little bit of background about my history in the leather community, because it has not always been shiny and sparkly and wonderful. I had a number of years, actually, where I really fell out of love. And that was because I felt that I had been pushed out I didn't feel I really had a place in these communities anymore. Some of that was because as a woman of color, you don't necessarily see yourself represented and that can be exhausting. Some of it was a lot of pushback because I really honestly believed that it was only fair for folks who were spending their time and energy and effort to be at these conventions and these events be compensated for their time and and assisted with offsetting costs. And this is anathema to lots of people in this community who believe that you should be doing this out of the goodness of your heart and wallet. So that was part of it. There were also people in the community who just didn't fucking like me. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to show up an event pay your money, and then have people scowling at you for three days straight. So I kind of faded back. And a lot of that was also due to the fact that I was in service to the Spousemeister. And our travels took us to so many places, but it wasn't always convenient to attend these events. And so that sort of pushed me away a little bit. 
So going into this, I was deeply apprehensive because I had not been to a event that was marketed as for the leather community specifically, and that meaning people who identify as being into the etiquette and protocol of leather and what these things mean to various people. That's another topic for another day. Point is, weirdos getting together to do weirdo shit, right? (laughs) And like every subculture, there's hierarchies and there's cliques and there's all of this shit. So showing up at this conference, I was hesitant and I really wasn't sure how my time there was going to be. So the first couple days we were there, I was stunned at how much this environment had changed since the last time I had been there. And so much of that is at the heart. My friend Tomo, who is the woman who runs this event, and what she had done, not just to give lip service to welcoming people of color and indigenous folks, she gave us room, she gave us the stage, she gave us time, she gave us place, and then stepped back and let us do what we needed to do with it. And that was the first moment where I thought maybe these things could be different. What I'm going to do over the next two episodes is share with you the recordings from the event. Today, I'm sharing with you the Q&A, which was from a brunch on the Saturday of the event. And Tomo is the person who's going to be interviewing me. And we have a lot of uh, a lot of fun. I think you'll definitely enjoy it. While I did my best to grab the audio for these, please note, it is going to be a little bit rough in places. My wonderful, delightful, competent sound engineer, Cody, has done the very best that he can, but there's only so much you can do when the person who's recording uh, has a mic that's not quite plugged in all the way, and there's a lot of ambient noise. So please bear with us, and hopefully you'll get the gist. So please sit back and relax, and come take a journey with me into the heart of a leather event. I don't know where this is going to go, but it will be entertaining. Molina, would you like to start us off? Did you have anything you would like to add? You know, I have so many things I want to say, but I'm afraid I'm in such an emo state that everything will just collapse into tears. So I might as well just get it out of the way. I have been doing this bullshit consciously and in community since roughly 1996. I have attended dozens upon dozens of conventions and events literally all over the world. And walking in on Thursday here was the first time I felt not only like I was at home, but that I belonged and that who I was was okay. Because for so many years, from jump, from get-go, I was caught up in protocol and rituals that were imposed upon me. And I was advised that this was how you become a good slave. It was perpetual imposition of someone else's will. And that sounds very sexy until it crushes your heart. And the crushing of my heart was institutionally supported by so many DS and MS structures. It was actually encouraged. The destruction of my will, ego, and personality was seen as a positive, that someone was able to master me in that way. And so to know that the opening of this was to have someone who I respect so profoundly and have done since I first went to my first contest, 
say to me, you matter, your voice is important, and it is important for me to have you here was not just humbling for me, it was humbling for every other slave into whose eyes I've looked when they've been so full of pain because they were not enough or they were too much. So for all of y'all who've been too much, I'm representing for you. Yes. That's it. <laughs> I was like, because I'm going to just cry again. There's been a lot of crying so far this weekend. I know. I've been crying myself. Quite transformative. I hope they're happy tears and growth tears and transformative tears. So we're going to have someone wandering around the audience with paper and pens. And if you have any questions you would like to ask Molina, then please write them down and they will pass them up here to me. But we're going to start with my questions. <laughs> so, Molina. Yes, Tomo. <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> you fucked up. You told me about Butch Panic. Oh. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wait, that's she a thing? Butch panicked me. Yeah. <laughs> Go to my Facebook. Go to my Facebook. Sneak out your phone. Look at my Facebook, and you will see the ultimate photo of the beauty of Butch Panic. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did you put that photo up? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> when you look in the dictionary and you look up the word butch panic, Tomo's picture is right there. I have always been infamous for butch panic. All right, back to my first question. Back to the I've question. lost control already. Looking back as far as you can remember, what was your first clue that you had in your life that you were kinky? Okay, can we... Am I going to get roasted if I talk about things that were pre-age of my majority? If I talk about my childhood shit, is that okay? All right, fine. You should talk about whatever yeah, yeah. you want to right, talk cool. about. So when I was 15, I started dating my first boyfriend, and he and I were pretty much ready to fuck from jump. However, he was a good Catholic boy. And he said, well, we have to wait until marriage. And I said, I'm not fucking waiting until marriage, bro. I found out about sex when I was about four, and I have been waiting <laughs> since then. All right? So that's like, math it, but that's a lot of years of waiting. Because when you're a kid, that's the majority of your life. You've now spent waiting to fuck. So by the time I found someone who was like, DTF, I'm like, we're going to do this. And he was like, I can't. It's against my religion. And I was like, well, this is ridiculous. And then he says, well, but hold on. You know what doesn't count as sexual intercourse? Is anal sex. And I was like, oh, keeping in mind that this young man, to date, had the second biggest dick I have ever seen in person. Don't clap! delicate 15-year-old flower and you're clapping for my ass to get busted open by some giant Trinidadian dick. Who the fuck laughed? Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So 
I had read some porn by that point, and I was aware that butt sex could be difficult. So being in New York City, I did what any weirdo would do, is I went down to the Pink Pussycat Boutique, and I said, I'm going to be fucking up the ass. So I need some, like, I need to know how to do this so I don't get hurt, because I know it can hurt. And they were like, okay, here's some lubricant. Here's some, I got like a little butt douche and everything. It was really great. This big old queen helped me. And I was like, to this day, I was like, you know, that's who you go to when you need help. <laughs> Pretty much for any motherfucking thing, really, I think. <laughs> you go, you find yourself a queen, they got you. So I go back and I like have a little bag and I pour it out in front of my boyfriend who's like, what is all this? I'm like, this is what we're going to need to do if you're going to be fucking me up the ass with your giant dick. And so that was the first six months of our relationship was just like, just, just butt sex. And um, I said to him, well, if I'm going to do this, I feel like you should know what this feels like too. <laughs> I just thought that shit was normal. In retrospect, people were like, girl. <laughs> so I guess that's when I <laughs> I'm just sitting back here enjoying the show. <laughs> that it's going to be about 90 minutes of blushing. Um, yeah. It's good for the soul, yeah? Yeah. So what scene is on your bucket list? And I've seen a number of your scenes, so dig deep and find an answer to this one. On my bucket list, does it have to be feasible? No. Okay, great, good, because it's not. I have had my whole life a very difficult fetish that I could not explain, unfulfillable, but there it is. And I was glad when the internet occurred because I found out that not only was I not alone, there was an entire industry dedicated to tentacle porn. And I was just like, if the internet does nothing, it helps you to feel less isolated in your freaky ass shit. And so, I mean, literally, like when I was in junior high, maybe I had read this one manga and it was just this like wide eyed woman being assaulted violently by some sort of creature. And it was all pixeled out because this was the 80s and, you know, you couldn't get uncensored porn from Japan at that time at all. And uh, I was mesmerized by this. And to this day, because of the way my brain works, I'm like trying to figure out the why. Why is it? Is it the alien? Is it the other? Is it the monstrous? Is it the loss of control? I'm like, I don't give a fuck what it is. And then when I was in uh, maybe seventh or eighth grade, I was shown a picture of the woodcut, the dream of the fisherman's wife, which is an ancient Japanese text, an old ass picture of a woman fucking an octopus. And I was like, not only am I not alone, people have been like thinking about this shit for millennia, yo. So my like abduction into a spaceship where several very muscular, tentacly slimy aliens put everything into every orifice simultaneously forever <laughs> is kind of my bucket list. That's what I see as the ultimate. And to be honest, NASA is getting very close. They have some new... <laughs> <laughs> NASA has some new technology they've been using uh, to try to counter working and weightlessness. And it's basically, it looks like a giant hand that's operated with uh, hydraulics in the same way that spider legs operate. And so once the astronaut leans up against it, it holds them so that they can do the task. 
And I saw a film of this and I was like, Jesus Christ, what the? So, I'm like, I don't think any, I'm like, very few people are probably jerking off to NASA clips. But I can count myself among that number because that was like so fucking hot. I don't think that's gonna ever happen. No, no, no I'm sad. Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. Yeah. A girl can dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a little bit more of a serious question. I was there the day that you competed for International Ms. Leather. And I would consider the fantasy that you offered during the competition an iconic moment in leather history and one that brought you to tears. So I'm curious if you could tell those that don't know about what that fantasy was and wasn't there, were not there, and also not only tell us about it, but what it was like for you to offer that as your fantasy during the contest. Yeah. Okay, so first I need to give the caveat. The reason that I chose this fantasy was not even profound, Tomo. It was that I could not get the people I wanted to do the initial fantasy I planned to work because they were all equity actors. They were all union. And they were like, we can't perform on a stage. And I was like, it's a leather, it's a private leather concert. They were like, you know someone from equity is going to be there. And I was really worried about it because not to be an asshole, but I'm going to be an asshole. I've been a professional performer since I'm six years old. I have been, you know, performing in film and television and my shit has to be sharp. If I'm going to get on stage, it has to be good. And the fantasy that I wanted to do would require act actors and performers. And I was like, fuck, who can I rely on? Who do I know will show up for rehearsals? Who do I know will be there the whole time? I'm like, that would be fucking me. So I had to figure out a fantasy that I could do myself without it being cheesy or corny or whatever. And so I started thinking about the whys. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? What do I want to say about being a black woman identifying as a submissive and a slave and coming into this lifestyle? And so I came up with the fantasy. I was like, great. Because of my executive dysfunction, I actually didn't physically rehearse it. I sat and I listened to the song over and over again and I felt it and I channeled it and I thought about it and I was like, great, fine, we're gonna do this. I performed it for the first time at the Miss San Francisco Leather Contest, yay, which I then won and then because I won that, I was obligated to go and participate in Insel, which the judges found amusing. They were like, so why are you winning? I'm like, because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted a better answer, I think. I was like, I'm fulfilling my obligation, that's why I'm here. So when I had to do a fantasy for Imsel, I said, can I do the same one? Because that was fine. And they were like, yeah, you can. So you have to imagine that I am, my costume is the following. I have a brown sort of drab overdress and apron and big old bow, big old mammy bandana on my head. And I have shackles that I purchased. They were antique shackles. So they looked very period accurate. Yeah. And I come on stage dragging like 30 feet of chain and like you could feel the oxygen getting sucked out of the room. People are just like, what the fuck? And then the music started. And from the first note, every black person in the room was like, girl. <laughs> because the song that came on was Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is considered the African-American national, and now, now you are paying attention. Now you're like, now I need to know what the fuck. <laughs> 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 
So as the music swells and it's uh, you know beautiful, and I use the Jocelyn Choir's arrangement of it. So you get the opening music and then you had just the acapella of them singing like a hundred black voices as I'm standing on stage in front of a lot of white people dressed like fucking Butterfly McQueen straight out of Gone with the Wind. And the first two, you know, like interpretive dance, interpretive dance, I'm enslaved, I'm enslaved, I'm enslaved. And then in my struggles, one of my arms comes out of the shackles and the resultant shock and fear. And then the other arm comes out, then I'm free. And then the hat comes off and the bodice comes off and I have this like leopard print bra and the skirt comes off and I have this latex skirt and the audience is like, <laughs> and then at the final chorus hits and it's about to land, I run back to where I have dropped the shackles pick them back up and put them back on with intention. Are we good? We good? Okay. <laughs> so when I performed this at San Francisco Leather, um, Queen Cougar was the MC. There are maybe three people on the planet who can terrify me. <laughs> Queen Cougar happens to be one of them. And as I walked to the wings in my mammy outfit, Queen Cougar's head went on the swivel. <laughs> and my blood drained out of my entire body. And like, you know that they look at you with the paragraph and it was like, you better have this together, girl. I don't know what the fuck you're about to do, but you better bring it. And then when I came off stage, she just put her hand on my shoulder. All right. I did that shit. I did that shit. But oh my God, I was fucking scared. <laughs> I was like, please don't let Queen Cougar be mad at me. <laughs> and if you look on YouTube, actually, thanks to my brother Q. <laughs> you can see it on YouTube. It is available. It exists, which is amazing. Thank you for breaking the rules, Q. <laughs> Q is often good for that. <laughs> In a loving way. Yes. Oh, I should shush. <laughs> What's it worth to you? Oh. Butch panic. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> All right, so this is a question. I'm going to jump to a question from our audience, and I do encourage all of you to write neatly. Don't write like me. How do you relax when you're not at an event? I don't know. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with self-care <laughs> quite a bit. My main method of relaxation, because because of my neurodiversity, whatever it is, has not been labeled yet. I've always been someone who needs to have a television on, a book in front of me, and something else happening to function. Back in the 70s, no parents believed that this was something that was feasible. And now doctors are like, no, please, please, I've been watching you while doing things. And so this is still part of my practice. However, what I use to relax is almost entirely murder porn. It's every true crime, fucking like death, destruction, every like, but here's the twist. I do not watch any murder porn where there is not a resolution and the bad guy does not wind up in jail. Yeah. I don't do those mysteries. I don't do those. We're still working on this case. 
because I would literally wake up at night like, okay, but did they check the underpants? <laughs> I was like, I don't need that additional stress in my life. But for whatever reason, and I don't know why this is, but I felt less lonely when I saw a comedian say, I don't know why men talk with women. Women watch crime shows to relax. Like, your wife is sitting there chilling, watching how to dispose of a body, and you're fucking with this bitch. <laughs> so that's my methodology. I have no idea why. I'm going to talk to my therapist about this, but like, I also, I actually am actively um, phobic. I have a fear of death. It's very profound. It's my only irrational fear. And so I don't know why that is hand in hand with my being like, oh my god. You can't dissolve a body in one day, you idiot. <laughs> well, that actually leads us nicely into our next question. Thank you very much. Yeah. You speak with incredible honesty about mental health, therapy, medication, sobriety, trauma, mistakes, messes, injustice, and life challenges. This candor feels like a radical act in a community that can sometimes be prone to putting forth a more sanitized or performative version of ourselves. And as we gather in community and digital world and in real life, how can we cultivate a leather culture that is more firmly grounded in authenticity as you lead with, or as you've called the glorious chaos of our lives? We have to stop being ashamed. Right? Like, you can blame society, you can say, I'm not encouraged to, I'm shamed by, I'm humiliated with, or you can say, I'm shamed by, I'm humiliated about, I'm, I feel bad about whatever, whatever, and let that piss you off to the point where it motivates you to say, and I'm going to pull open this wound and let you sit in your discomfort. Because it's you. When I first realized that, like, people saying, well, race play and this is not, that had nothing to fucking do with me. That was not my goddamn problem. It was their problem. They didn't like it. I was like, I had this struggle. You think I fucking woke up one day and was like, I don't really realize black slave. No, bitch, no. <laughs> that just was years of crying and feeling like a bad person and feeling as though I was betraying the ancestors every time I masturbated. So that was not a happy fucking place. So I had to forgive myself first and then say, I don't care if you don't like it. Or me. I genuinely don't care. Yes. But you have to genuinely not care. Because like when those shreds of caring are still there, they burn. And I went through years of burning. With those, that was the remnants of that shade burning away. And the more I pushed myself to say, I'm going to stand in this and know that it's not my pain. These last burning remnants are me letting go of this shit. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Those people who are coming after you for what you're doing, half of them are doing the same shit, and they're mad. They don't have the fucking guts to fucking do it. Yes. the African-American people in the sea in San Francisco, one of whom threatened violence against me, one of whom threatened to boycott me for the rest of my life if I was not ousted from the sea, whatever the fuck that means. Whatever it means to be ostracized from the sea, because that's exactly what you want to do. 
one of the people, a woman, who was instrumental in putting together the first black women's business team. And I was so amazed that there were enough of us to have this team. Because when I came into the scene, I was the one of two black women. And then after about a year of this tea being held, I was voted out because I was harmful to the black community. So I had black slaves tell me that I was broken and fucked up and harmful and toxic. And that pain, that was a whole new layer of burning. That was a whole new layer of pain. Two years later, I had a play partner of mine say to me, I'm going to violate someone's confidence right now. I'll ask for their permission later. But I see the pain that you are in, and therefore I'm going to do this. And what he revealed to me was that the individual who had gone ham on my ass for two years about talking about race play had come to him to do a race play scene. And so what he said was, I ought not violate this confidence, and I'm sorry for it. However, I feel in this case, you needed to hear this. So I'm going to go right now to her and tell her I told you. But I, you needed to know, because I see how much you're suffering from this. And I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and the second was a gentleman who had been one of the people to write these very uh, flowery examples of, of why I should not be doing what I was doing. While at the same time, he, as a, you know, big old black dog, had not one, not two, but three white slaves. But that was okay, because if you're a black man with white slaves, that's payback. If you're a black woman leading to a white man, that's following the dominant paradigm, right? And I was like, that is so wonderful, brother. He wrote to me several years later and said, I apologize. My coming after you was my shit. And I was like, yes, it was, and thank you. And at that point, that was when the final things sort of burned away. Those couple of people letting me know that my keeping in integrity was actually correct. And that if people do feel that they are hurt or harmed by what I do, that's not great, but it is not always our responsibility to keep harm from others if it keeps us from living our lives authentically. Does that make sense? I'm not out here trying to harm you. I'm living my life. If I'm not aggressively putting my shit in your face, I feel that it is my job to be present for who I am. And more than that, it is my service. It's my responsibility to take these hits because Mama Vi took those hits before me, I take them, and I will be handing that off to some other poor bastard later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. We cannot speak enough as a community about living authentically and supporting each other in doing so. So thank you for those powerful words. All right. So I have a note here in purple. You know who you are. Some cheeky fucker out there that is in the dictionary on the page of Butch Panic. And the question that they are asking is, if you had to associate Tomo as an ice cream flavor... <laughs> What would it be? <laughs> I just had a fucking hot flash. Jesus Christ. This is so easy. And the thing is, it's like, 
Think about my brain is a fucking mess. Because it was like, no, it's definitely this one. <sighs> it is Talenti. Wow. So I'm cheating because that's a, that is a, 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 it's not ice cream, it's a gelato. But you are not ice cream. You are finely blended. When you take the first bite of a pint of Talenti, no, fuck, are we really going this far with this <laughs> There's that smooth top, yeah. When you open the jar, it's very smooth. And very you take that first bite, and it melts. This sea salt caramel is so rich and delicate, but also full. It's like a deep chocolate. First couple of bites of just that crust off the top, and then you reveal the little corner of something poking up. Like, what is that? <laughs> what secret nuggets are working with? Who was secret? using the purple pen? <laughs> then you get to the tiny truffles that are embedded within this delicious. Creamy, cool, sweet treats. Fucking hell. The problem is that the truffle, once it gets into your mouth, is frozen. <laughs> you have to roll it on your tongue for a minute. <laughs> Uh, are we <laughs> Once the outside you have the seeing just one glimpse one little swirl on the back of your throat of a caramel puff. With a little salty aftertaste. Could we have the air conditioning set a little cooler in here, please? I thought it was just going to be like pistachio or something. I'm hoping that life is intolerant because I feel there's going to be a wave of pints of Talenti. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> what has been your greatest joy in this community? My greatest joy was the day that I came out of rehab. I'm an alcoholic and in recovery. Uh, this is my sweet 16. This year is my sweet 16. And the problem was that when I checked into the rehab on the 31st day, I had been scheduled to go and work at an event. And I was like, oh, I don't wanna I don't wanna let them down, but it's the last day of my rehab, and I was like, do we have a graduation? Like what happened? So by the time I got off of the critical floor, the civil floor in the when I first checked in, I was being monitored and dedicated. It was a whole fucking like, meeting. 
halfway through that month, I asked my friend, because I had no email access to write, and asked, it was a, a, an intensive that Madame Leo Dubois was running. And I was volunteering as one of these stunt bottoms. She'd like to have experienced, you know, subs and bottoms and slaves working with the dominants and masters she was training so that we were there to provide feedback and not be too scared to do so. The troops of our subs. And so my friend messaged Cleo and said, you know, this is the situation I know you've heard. Is it okay for her to go? And she wrote back, she must come. She must come. And so the day after I left my rehab, I literally had no idea how I was going to live the rest of my life. I had not been sober for that long for over a decade. And, you know, those who know, know you have to relearn how to live. Live your life from scratch. And walking into this dungeon the day, a day early from rehab, and having her say, welcome your home. Joby was so, it was just this pure light, because I knew that I had not fucked up so bad that y'all were not still here for me. I'd like to look ahead at what's next for you. We know that you are birthing a new business, the Kink Doula. Okay. Uh, would you kindly tell us more about your stepping into the role of doula in this way and about the ways that you're inspired to serve as a guide for the birthing and rebirthing of the kink and the kink curious? We have a sign. I was like, I have a little show and tell everything, and I fucked it up. Here it is. Here we go. <laughs> yes. I see the kids on the social media with their little like things, and I'm like, I'm just gonna travel the world and be like, King Dula in Vienna, King Dula in racist ass Italy. King <laughs> but that's a story for another day. I don't want to waste my time to like, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about the fact that the thing I was looking for is right fucking there. So what happened was, a friend of mine, her name is Barbara Covellis, and she runs an event where she's training folks to utilize Tantra in ways that are accessible and not captured in too much woo and not sort of over here in the ether. She trains people from all different walks of life how to utilize tantra and tantric practices. And one of the things I do is I assist her in running these retreats. And the reason I assist her in running these retreats is because she invited me to a retreat many years ago. And I walked and I was like, Barbara, this is entirely too fucking right. What is happening here? And she said, I know. I need to do some more work. And I'm trying to do the work. And here's what I'm doing to try to make sure that this is accessible to people of color. And she went down the list and I was like, ah. Oh, you're doing that thing I hate when white people step up to their plate and do the thing. Because my position is, once you have started to do the work and you show me you're working, I'll support you. Until that point, go fuck yourself. And she was at that point. I was like, fuck, if I'm supporting her, I said I would. <laughs> so I started being like the brown person in the room because we have to be the lichen. Someone has to be on the rock cleaning. 
so thrilled that you joined us here, even after the whole ice cream debacle. 
You were my first call, and I do not regret that for a minute, and I'm thrilled to have had you here uh, to chat here at lunch. I hope everyone's enjoyed this. I sure did. And I look forward to your keynote speech tomorrow. As we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to share with us in this casual setting that doesn't have to do with me? I was trying to remember, I'm going to come up with some like sassy anecdote about Hazel and, and that weekend and everything else. And all I remember was you, like, I just I had this image of you, like, but like hurting us. <laughs> but always with so much love and so much compassion. So I want to thank you for being consistent. You're welcome. And I want to say thank you to everyone who is here, and those are that includes the people who, with whom I might have sketchy history, that includes the people who I maybe did not want to see this weekend, that includes the people who I've never met before, who shared some parts of themselves with me, and I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow, I guess, maybe possibly, who knows what the fuck I'm going to say, but what's very vital to me is that existing in this space is revolutionary, and there's very few times in life where just being is enough. And as Americans, we are not acculturated to feel as though our existence, just sitting in stillness, is enough. We have to be doing, we have to be being, we have to be acting, we have to be slaving, we have to be mastering. But we don't. And I hope for you, my hope is that at some point this weekend, you stop and you do nothing. And you feel so empowered by that because your existence here is sending a message to the rest of the world. Even if you don't know it. Even if you can't see it. We're all little pebbles in the pond and the rippling is happening and I feel it. And if you stop, you'll feel it. But you gotta stop. So take a moment and stop. Thank you so much, Molena, for joining us. I want to thank everyone for joining us at the Hot Seat Cafe. Look, I think they liked it. We are always here for you. Now get the hell out. we got to flip this room for tonight. <laughs> Enjoy your afternoon, everyone. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.